So welcome back, SpaceX PLR uh, channel subscribers, lovers, space enthusiasts, everybody else who are wondering about and, and uh, you know, on YouTube or in podcast sections and looking for space news and updates and what's happening in the space industry right now. So today we have a very, very uh, great guest to talk about a very important thing, again, very close to me. I love, I love just the topic on its own, uh, space medicine. So that's going to be a big topic today. And uh, her name is Aya Hishan Saeed Mohammed. So Aya is a highly motivated medical student interested in space psychology and space medicine, uh, where she looks to combine her medical knowledge with a passion for space innovation. Her experience ranges for uh, authorizing a cross-section study about the correlation between traveling to Mars and personality traits to contribute to many international space projects such as uh, collapsible lower body negative pressure system, importance uh, of that in a long duration missions and University of California. So Aya has also been a speaker of international conferences in Egypt, Australia, and Mexico. So in addition to her vast activity in the space medicine entrepreneurship, she was nominated as the first space medicine entrepreneur in Egypt. And her quote, uh, I love that by the way, if you don't find the path, go and create one. So let's keep this today's theme and, and kind of motivation and encouragement for you guys and girls to go out there and, and do the things that you want in the space industry. So Aya's dream is to lead an innovative space medicine company and to make space tourism safe and accessible to everyone. So once again, Aya, thank you for, again, for your time and looking forward to discussing this uh, space medicine topic. Thank you, thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, okay, so let's dive in because um, for me, like space medicine, just because we're now initiating a, a company called GRSS, it's a Georgia Research Space Station, an analog station located in Belize, Georgia. Uh, space medicine, again, is out there for us. I mean, uh, personally, I'm not a medical uh, you know, doctor. I'm not related to, to medicine in any sort of a way, but it, it's just very interesting how uh, space medicine is going to be applied or what other uh, innovations are currently happening in the space medicine field. So maybe we can talk about that, uh, about innovations that are currently happening with the space medicine and what benefits uh, are we currently seeing or will be seeing here on the earth as well because of that. Well, uh, it's a pretty good question. Thanks for asking. Um, space medicine is a rapidly growing field and what actually i like about space medicine that it's not just about providing good health care for the astronauts but we can apply the new medicalis and treatments we are discovering in space to improve our lives here on earth and let me give you some examples about uh, the innovations that help the astronauts live better lives in space and also the innovations that helps us here uh, live better lives here on earth and the first is um well, let's talk about tumors in space, for instance. So uh, in 2090, Australia researchers simulated microgravity environment here on Earth to see how microgravity will react on uh, the cancer cells or will affect the cancer cells. And the surprise was that 90% of the cancer cells died uh, totally by apoptosis um, uh, due to the microgravity. And Actually, this shifted the way into and this shifted the medicine into a new way, which is treating 
cancer patients using microgravity. So imagine that in the future, uh, maybe after 10 years, we will uh, employ the uh, microgravity into the, into the protocol of cancer treatments or even treating cancer patients using just microgravity. I think it's gonna be awesome. You know, so I think it's a great innovation uh, uh, to that we are using space exploration to improve our lives here on Earth. Also, uh, let's talk about space robotics. And actually, it's it's interesting. It's interesting part. And there is a concept called space robotics for uh, space robotics for a better psychology. So imagine that I am on the surface of, Mo of Mars versus or Moon, and I'm feeling blue right now. So this space robotic can show for me some recordings about my family and friends, also some recordings about the beautiful views of, of, of our planet Earth. And this will greatly improve my, uh, my mood and my psychology. Also, if this robot has the humanoid intelligence and like this robot can talk to me like a, like a person like me so i can talk to this robot uh, like uh, like he is a therapist or a space uh, or a psychologist and he will tell me what can i do to overcome this this mood this bad mood also, we can use space robotics for surgeries. Uh, actually, there was a, uh, a research that, and the research has proved that using robotics uh, for minor surgeries in space will greatly uh, reduce 50% of the time uh, consumed by the astronauts during surgeries. So I think it's gonna be awesome, you know, and it really, we need such an innovation, especially in deep space missions. Also, there is there is interesting examples such as um, 3D printing for space pharmacy. I like it actually, you know, I'm not as a pharmacist, but uh, imagine that uh, I, I am on Mars again, and uh, I have some heading and I need some sort of Panadol, for instance. So, and the existed Panadol right now uh, got expired, uh, for example. And it, uh, what I need, the only choice for me is I, I have to wait for the, um, for the upcoming resupply from Earth uh, to, to give or to take the Panadol in this resupply mission. So, Another solution that uh, I think it's crucial to be existed that 3D printing. Uh, also, um, I think 3D printing in space pharmacy will help to customize the drugs. Uh, in other words, so I will manufacture this specific tablet for this specific person with this specific age and health status and with his um, um, you know, uh, psychology and his genetics. Uh, so we, I will manufacture this treatment depending on this person. So I think it will have great effect and it will, you know, have great impact and it, it's gonna be crucial, I think, in deep space missions. So I think it's also a great innovation in space medicine. That's fantastic. I mean, that, that's some good news and updates you gave us right there. So. Uh, I want to ask you about the question as we speak about the Panadol, and I'll mention another thing as we're talking about 
you know, uh, operations, doing an operation, which is again, another big thing, how we do we solve that in a one third, one of one sixth of the gravity, right? So, but speaking about the Panadol and uh, um, as far as I heard, just because of a microgravity and, and effects uh, due to that, uh, some certain medicine is, it doesn't being, uh, it doesn't give the same uh, effect uh, as same here being on a planet just because of lack of gravity. So is, is the space medicine field looking into that currently, uh, how to solve that problem? Because of microgravity, I mean, if you consume this, let's say Panadol, and if you have a headache, it might not work identically the same as it works here on the planet. So is there anything being done like that? Well, I'm not involved in the, in, in a space pharmacy research, right. but what I know is, yes, treatments and medicals in space is greatly differ its effect from here on Earth. And this is due to the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics um, uh, get greatly affected and changed due to microgravity and also due to radiation. And for us as humans, we, we greatly change in space, you know, uh, our blood pressure change, our uh, thermostat uh, also change. Uh, our genetics also change greatly. So to, to reach the point that we reach that um, we fit the product or we fit the drugs uh, to specific people in space, I think to reach to that point, we need extensive research. We need mm -hmm. extensive research on more, on more um, drugs and more people uh, in space to reach to that point and to create uh, effective drugs uh, for deep space missions as well. Yes, I completely agree. So there's more, more research has to be done just plain, plain and simple, right? So talking about uh, operations, uh, I'm currently looking at the image it's, and the company called Virtual Incision. Uh, so they developed the first uh, fist size, so about that big fist size uh, robot in conjunction with NASA that may be able to perform abdominal uh, laparoscopical surgery in astronauts. So, um, and you control that with the joysticks, right? So I'm, I'm looking at this image and you can probably Google the ones who are watching or listening, Virtual Incision. That's the company and you, you will come across this small fist-sized robot that can do the abdominal uh, laparoscopic surgery. So speaking about surgery, uh, what do you think, uh, just, just with the, again, problem of microgravity, how operations could be performed more effectively? Well, um, well, it's, it's a good question. I think there are more operations need, put, need to be done regarding the hygiene. So, and I also think that in the ISS, there is a special room uh, that totally a sterile and uh, in this room, they can do some minor uh, surgeries. So the first is the, uh, the, the hygiene. We need to be totally hygienic uh, in space because, you know, surgery, if it get infected, it's going to be so dangerous, I think. Also regarding the, the human resources as well, the people who can do the, these surgeries. So we have to uh, you know, train those people better uh, to perform better surgeries in space. Um, but I think such an issue is gonna be, you know, uh, some sort, uh, you know, 
uh, it's not gonna be easy in space tourism field because to train this be for me as a person if I want to pay a ticket to fly next week how I can I, I, I'm not eligible or uh, I can do surgeries or something like so so how to solve this problem uh, in, in in missions like space tourism missions or so um, also, the microgravity, microgravity greatly affect the the drugs. For instance, if um, injected, uh, if um, um, to perform a surgery, I have to take you know some drugs before uh, before the surgery itself. Right. And during microgravity, the the, the hemodynamics of these drugs will be greatly different in, in microgravity. For instance, if I'm injecting uh, the spinal cord here on Earth, so I know that this drug will, uh, will go to a specific uh, place in the spinal cord. Right. But in microgravity, maybe this drug is going to shift it up toward the brain. So it's going right. to be a disaster, you know? So how to control this issue as well? Microgravity right. affect the, the, you know, the movement of the drugs inside our bodies. So we also need extensive research on such point, you know? So do, do you think that like nanotechnology could be in some sort of a help uh, in that area or we just have to work on artificial gravity? Um, well, regarding artificial gravity, I have read many papers about artificial gravity and I've, uh, I found that, you know, um, it doesn't have that great, great effect uh, to improve or to mitigate the, the effects of space environment. I don't know, but um, uh, uh, many papers prove that um, artificial gravity doesn't have, you know, that great effect in mitigating uh, the microgravity uh, effects on our bodies. So uh, I don't know, but everything is possible with technology, you know. Um, 100 years uh, ago, people were dying from diphtheria, for instance. Um, a thousand, it was like an epidemic. Thousands of people were dying from diphtheria. But we have seen right now diphtheria become a very rare disease due to vaccination. So everything is possible with technology, you know, and with the frequent research and R&D, continuous R&D, we may also found uh, new or discover or innovate new ways uh, other than artificial gravity or nanotechnology, you know, who knows? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, very interesting, very interesting. So you, you mentioned one word that, that caught my ear. It was a space tourism, right? And, and yeah. now we're speaking with, with that very openly. I mean, and it's kind of happening right now. We're seeing, you know, Blue Origin is organizing another mission, uh, perhaps in Virgin Galactic, and we see SpaceX with their great missions also. So we have companies going towards that direction. And it feels like uh, this kind of interplanetary tourism might happen very soon too as well. I mean, you know, we might speak about 20, 30 years from now, but I mean, in a, just in a history timeline, that's very fast. Um, yeah. So can we talk about the correlation, as, as, as you mentioned before, uh, between traveling to Mars and personality traits? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, 
I have conducted a cross-section study on the people who are interested to travel to Mars, you know, um, and uh, I, have con I have measured some personality traits using Big Five test. It's a psychological test or like a psychological assessment. Um, and I, I measured, you know, I wanted to know how those people are thinking and why they are interested to travel to Mars, uh, why they are interested and want to, you know, get very far away from our beautiful planet Earth and maybe live there forever uh, and die there. Why? Why do you want to do so? And what are the personality traits of those people? And you know, I, I, the, the results were really interesting. I found that those people are, are high on openness. Openness means that they are willing to travel new experiences, and this makes sense. And high, um, high in openness, high in consciousness as well, and low in neuroticism. And neuroticism is the emotional instability you know so so the the neuroticism the level of neuroticism was very high means that they are emotionally stable and this is <laughs> this is good result actually um and yeah the importance of this study was to know how those people are thinking you know i'm, I'm very interested in the psychology of long duration missions you know i, I really want to know how the next generation uh, right. martian generation looks like and how how you know what are the the infrastructure uh, that we need to create such a, a generation as well and um, I think a lot of decisions that we are taking from now is greatly affected by the psychology of these people, you know. Um, for instance, if, if for instance, let's talk about uh, from the beginning, from the selection process itself. So uh, we are going to select those people depending on specific social skills. So what are the social skills that we are going to uh, select those people? Uh, uh, they have to be, you know, there is uh, an astronaut uh, from the ISS mentioned before that good, a good sense of humor is really important to decrease the conflicts and right. the crew. And I think it's really crucial to uh, that those, the next Martian crew have this, uh, have this trait actually. So right. what are the social skills? What are the social skills that they will have? Also, if we want to put a conflict resolution program, you know, uh, we will put this program on, on you know, on which, uh, on which base. Um, I think it's also affected by psychology. And right. if we want to put, for instance, laws for those people, so what, on which basis as well, I think it's going to affect by their psychology, by their beliefs, by their backgrounds, by their cultures as well. If we want to put laws for punishing treatments, how this world will look like, you know. Right. Also, those people are going to uh, live and get children and those children are going to grow up on Mars. So if, uh, uh, so if those youth want to land a job, and they live on Mars. Uh, how they will do so? I think they will be like a Martian LinkedIn, for instance. I don't know, but it's gonna cool. <laughs> it's gonna be cool, actually. Um, yeah. So I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered and need to be more researched to take the decision of 
putting those people on Mars and creating this functioning society, you know? Right. And this greatly is affected by the psychology. We want to know how those people are thinking, what they like and what they don't like, what works for them and what doesn't work. Right, right. Very true, very true. I agree with it very much just because uh, the one thing that you talked about, emotional stability. So uh, during these times, obviously, you know, we live in a technology age and uh, sometimes technology, well, most of the time, technology grows faster then, then the person can, you know, get caught up to it. Uh, and that's what happens. You, you, get, you get a lot of people, uh, and especially, you know, in the United States or other countries, when you get all these labels, ADHD, and all these different uh, letters that they give to the people where they're out of balance, right? So, uh, so these days, rather than IQ, EQ, uh, emotional, uh, you know, stability, being emotionally uh, intelligent, uh, to make rational decisions, especially anything like that when traveling into space, you know, for six, seven months, uh, having that is very important. So as you mentioned before, maybe we should take uh, a bunch of, you know, stand-up comedians and put them together. And that could be a good first crew uh, to be on Mars, you know, so at least we will know they will survive the conflict situations. So, uh, but speaking about that, so what sort of a... Um, menu uh kind of what sort of proposition uh do the space medicine experts would give to the people to get more emotionally stable i mean is there some sort of a prescription that they would give you know five times a day you know do just do the yoga or do you know i don't know meditation like eat certain food i mean how can you get more emotionally stable well it's an interesting question um there is an astronaut, uh, he came from the ISS, you know, and he mentioned that it was during the COVID-19 period. And, you know, this period was really tough for many of us, uh, being away and being isolated from our families and friends and from our daily life was really easy for many people. So this astronaut um, advised us, let's say, uh, on how to, you know, mitigate the, fe the feeling of isolation and confinement because, you know, astronauts, uh, they, they often uh, in this situation, they are isolated for around at least six months. And uh, so the, the, he mentioned that how the astronauts on the ISS deal with this situation and what we can do as well here on Earth. And he actually mentioned many things. And the first is the food. He mentioned that good and delicious food is crucial uh, for a better psychology and for right. a better mood. You know, when you eat your favorite meal, uh, you feel that you are happy, you know? So it's really, it's really important. Also, um, and also I think there is around 300 uh, different types of food on the ISS and I think it's, it's, uh, it's really important as well uh -oh. for the astronauts. Yep. Uh, also, they mentioned that we have to exercise. Exercise is really important. Astronauts right. are exercising around two hours per day and, you know, here on mm -hmm. Earth, if we exercise, it, it greatly improve our cardiovascular system and right. our our health and our and also our psychological health right. uh, also they mentioned adequate sleep is important you know uh, during uh, or on the iss astronauts uh, have you know disrupted um, circadian rhythm due to mm -hmm. uh, the the sun a lot you know, the 
the uh, they are experiencing uh, around 15 sunrise and sunset every yeah. day yeah. so a uh, getting adequate sleep is really important to improve the psychology yeah. also he mentions another interesting something which is he said look at the bright side so yes i know that during covid 19 we were isolated and it wasn't easy uh, for many of us but if we looked at the bright side we will we will see that during the isolation we got a lot of free time you know right so we've seen many people uh make the the most made the most of this free time by for instance reading their favorite books uh, spending time with their families um, um doing their you know favorite activities maybe so this is this was the pride side during the COVID 19. for me i i get involved in two new projects space medicine projects in the uh, during this period as it was you know like a great achievement for me yes. uh, on the iss the astronauts as well um yes i know that uh they are living in complete danger you know uh, anytime it's uh, carbon dioxide may leak at any time for instance mm -hmm. um, they are away from their families they, they, there is no luxury of life there is a lot of workload during the iss there is a lot of great responsibility you know they are representing their nations right. but if we looked at the pride side we will find that they are still astronauts and this is cool, you know, I'm right. still an astronaut with all these dangers. Um, uh, I think all of us, when we went, when we were asked during, uh, when we were young, what, what you want to be when you get older, we said that I want to be an astronaut. So this is the bright side. So if we looked at the bright side, even at the darkest times, it really improve our psychology and it really improve our psychological health and improve our mood as well right yes i completely agree with that just because uh, i mean it's just a proven fact i mean scientifically and and you know just try it on yourself i mean and in the case where you know things go down and it's like oh my god you know i cannot see you know obviously it's not that easy like you know for some other maybe people who have already been there and they know how to manage that psychology psychological perspective when things go down that they can click and and shift to the better side kind of situation your brighter side but you can train that you can train your brain just like to be just like how you can get depressed there is a certain patterns that you go to that place and same, you can go to the happiness. There are certain, you know, patterns that you can follow and train your brain to go there when you need. So this is very important. I agree with it very, very, very much. So can we talk about, again, uh, long duration missions? Uh, so uh, we talking about traveling to Mars. Obviously, Moon is, is, is not that far, but traveling to Mars six, seven months or, or more, depending on the location of, of the Mars at that specific time. So how we can prepare for those moments? Obviously, we have analog stations and we're working on, on, on one currently Georgian Research Space Station, which is going to be holding mainly with a focus of having long duration missions because we see a, a, a lack of presence of that in the current stations. Obviously, they do do that, uh, just like, you know, uh, Mars 500. There is a great facility that supports long duration missions that prepares next future astronauts and people for long duration flights or being in a confined environments for a long period of time with the people that you don't like, maybe. 
So uh, this is, has to be done. But what other ways people in general, because I don't know if, if those habitats on a global scale, just a handful, can support 7 billion people. I'm not sure everybody's going to go to Mars, but just, you know, let's say a million people uh, support in the facilities and to train them. So which ways do you see that people can train themselves besides being, you know, in a locked confinement, like with the COVID situation, um, to take it maybe a little bit more to the kind of extremes level uh, while, you know, being at home? Or I don't know, is there any sort of a different way? Well, uh, take care of your health. I think it's the most precious advice I can give. Take care of your health because, you know, uh, we, okay, let's talk about the astronauts and not the space tourism because, you know, maybe in the future we see that there is unhealthy people may travel to Mars. Uh, so uh, regarding the astronauts, we are selecting the astronauts from, you know, uh, depending on three phases. And the first is selection process. Let's talk about it from a psychology perspective. So um, we are selecting the astronauts on based on some psychological assessments, you know, and these assessments uh, consist of two uh, two parts, let's say. The first is interviews. So uh, the candidate make, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, initial set of interviews um, to see if this person is, you know, uh, some sort of um, eligible to travel to Mars or not. And the second part is uh, we are simulating some um, challenges that he, this person will face uh, during the flight. And in this phase, uh, the, the candidate is talking with a psychologist. Uh, and the psychologist is, you know, um, observing some, some, um, some parts or he, he is trying to observe some points that uh, if if this person had those some points, so it's considered uh, disqualifying. Well, um, and there are many types of the psychological assessments actually, and. Uh, Let's talk first about the type of the study itself. So um, there are surveys and observations. And surveys studies that we are doing, conducting surveys with those people to see uh, if, if they are qualified or not. And the second is the observational. And the observational is we are observing those people. So for instance, if they are um, involving in a, if those astronauts are involving in a, some space mission analog, so we are just what we are doing is we observe what, what, what they are doing in their daily life and what they are acting and reacting to different situations, you know. And also, uh, we are doing those surveys and those observational studies by natural or artificial uh, ways. And the natural means that we, we observe those people without any intervention. And the artificial is we are simulating, as I said, some stressors or some challenges and see how those people will react to, to, to those challenges. Yeah. And, you know, uh, let me give you an, an example, you know, space, the space psychological assessment is really tough. And most of the people de disqualified uh, from the selection process uh due during the assess during the, the psychological assessment a, a there is this flight surgeon from isa and he mentioned before that they roughly get 
uh, 1,000 candidates, and those candidates went through this psychological assessment, okay? And only 43 candidates succeed and succeed during the psychological assessment and went through the medical assessment. And this truly means that psychology is tough. It's not easy, you know, um, to succeed in such an assessment. And if you ask me, okay, what are the, the problems or the disorders that make me as a candidate disqualified, you know? And the answer is, unfortunately, mm -hmm. any psychic disorder can make you disqualified. Mm -hmm. And this is because, you know, wait a second. And this is because, you know, uh, space is really tough. It's not easy. So um, we have to choose these people uh, being free of any psychological disorders because the risk of uh, the risk of getting any psychological disease in a space is really high so this is regarding the, the or the selection process the second is in flight uh, during the flight itself what we are doing and as i mentioned we are giving uh, them you know some or uh, providing for them some um solutions to trying to mitigate the effects of uh, of the isolation uh, and uh, like we are giving them delicious food and delicious and healthy food has the whole minerals also we are trying to decrease the work hours uh, load it's really important as well also regarding uh, or let's talk about missions to mars we need to know it's also still an answered question. Uh, we need to know what are the the you know the perfect team. Yep. Uh, so uh, this team we have to choose uh, this team uh, from, for instance, one one country. So all of them will be from America, for instance. Or it is better to make a diversity in the team. So we can pick someone from China, someone from Egypt or and someone from um america for instance so right. which one is better it is really it's really important to answer these questions yes um also during the mission itself we are providing for them monitoring with uh, with the doctor so we are trying to improve the telecommunication or telemedicine technology so in just any at any time if if this candidate get get any um emergency in space so he can in just a few seconds contact with the doctor on the ground to uh, to get an online consultation in just a few seconds you know uh, let's talk also about post mission you know so because space is really hard those candidates uh, may get some psychological you know um diseases or disorders let's say mm -hmm. maybe they can get uh, some anxiety um they right. may get depression as well especially when we talked uh, long durations like durations for four years so it greatly increased the risk of getting depression after after the the flight or after the mission right uh, also this this may create uh, or increase the risk of getting some marital uh problems and in this case they need to talk to uh, a psychologist so we have to you know make sure that everything is stable pre during and post flight to mitigate the effects of the the 
uh, the space environment and the mission itself because you know space is hard and especially during for the long duration missions like spending three or four years so how to make sure that those crew crew members will spend four years together without killing each other without yes. killing each other you know <laughs> and yeah. come back safe to earth so yeah exactly indeed indeed the, the, those are very very great insights and, and perspectives that you give us uh, right now so i really appreciate it for for sharing that i want to ask you so on top of that while we still speak about space tourism and um, with the first crew missions, I do understand, obviously, those are going to be vetted professional astronauts who have been going on more than a few probably missions on ISS before, uh, you know, so, so those crews are going to be fine. The first ones is, is fine. But as we're currently talking about the space tourism kind of situation, we see that on the commercial side happening right now. And uh, you probably came in even across uh, uh, Orbital Assembly Corporation who are, who are looking to build a gateway uh, uh, in orbit uh, hotel. You probably see that uh, also, maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, but that's that's also like, it looks like it will be happening at some point, you know, hotel in, in orbit. You know, that's a cool, cool idea. And again, cool. traveling, traveling into space. I mean, traveling to, to Mars for, you know, seven plus months and then staying there in this confined environment with the people that you probably, of course, met, you're trained with them together. But uh, for the commercial space, I mean, what sort of a way uh, we can look into that? Because obviously some of the companies, uh, they will be looking to monetize that and make it as a service, right? Either flying to the hotel, staying at a hotel, flying to Mars, coming back, that, that will become some sort of a service. We, we might say, okay, a hundred years from now, okay? So how we can treat, uh, how we can actually not treat, look at that situation uh, with uh, having that, okay, we have to mitigate the risk of, of that psychology, psychological problem that might occur during the flight or, or just while staying on, on Mars or, 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 or Mars or in the hotel, right? So it just spoke about, uh, is that gonna be certain training that will still apply to every individual before flight? Uh, or it has to be, as you mentioned, again, robotics, uh, some sort of an AI technology. They have to intervene uh, with that person, in, uh, you know, one-to-one -one or either in the group conversation and, and mitigate the risk of a conflict or whatever problem might occur. Well, thanks for asking these questions. It's my, it's my favorite part, actually. Um, First of all, I do believe in space tourism, you know, <laughs> uh, but frankly, it's a price issue right now. Many mm -hmm. people cannot afford the, uh, the, the price of the ticket right now. But with the continuous with the continuous research and the improvement of the technology, I believe that at least 10 years from now, the situation will be completely different. And you are going to find many people traveling to um, to, to space, maybe just for experiencing the overview effect and see our right. beautiful Earth from, from above, or uh, we will see uh, researchers uh, traveling to doing scientific experiments for R&D purposes, or also we will find patients who are traveling space uh, to to you know to experience the microgravity because you know microgravity can can use can be used as a treatment for many for many diseases mm -hmm. and it's like uh, a power that we, we we cannot find here on earth 
Mm. So we are gonna, in the future, we are gonna find many people are traveling to space. I believe that. Um, let's, let's talk about that from a medical perspective. Uh, we get used that if if there's someone want to travel to space, he has to be uh, for the astronauts. He, ha he for the astronaut, he has to be fully healthy, uh, free of any psychic or medical disorders. But regarding space tourism, the situation is completely different. For me, I want to buy for a ticket to fly next week. So how can do this? I don't have to get a lot of medical, psychological, and technical training to travel space. I don't need all of this. I just want to experience the overview effect. Right. Um, so how can we do this? Well, currently, let's, I want to tell you that it is possible. Um, it is possible to fly unhealthy people to space as long as their medical condition is stable. In other, in other words, uh, let's take an example. So if this person had some coronary artery disease, so what we can do for him? We can optimize the medical management for him and uh, control his hypertension or control his uh, tension level and make sure that his medical condition is stable. Then he can fly to space. Uh, for instance, if this person has high risk of thrombosis you know mm -hmm. uh, so what we can do for him we can give him low dose heparin by injection pre and during the flight and make sure that his uh, his thrombo uh, thromboembolism level is stable and uh, monitor his uh, you know i'm going to talk about this later okay and then make sure that his medical condition is stable, then he can fly to specifically, you know. Uh, for instance, if this person has some psychological disorder, well, we have to make sure that this psychic disease will not, will not make this person harm himself or harm the others around. This is the most important thing. Uh, so making sure that his psychic disease or psychic psychological level is stable at some level and then he can fly to space safely also we we can improve the telecommunication or telemedicine uh, technologies so uh, even if uh, at any time any uh, any one of those space participants get uh, some medical disorders suddenly here they can uh, in just a few seconds contact with the doctor on the ground and get online consultation. So it's mm -hmm. crucial as well. Also, we can fly a doctor simply with the, with the crew. Uh, you know, maybe SpaceX can choose me to fly with one of its missions. <laughs> it's gonna be cool, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna take uh, care of the, those uh, tourists. So flying a doctor with the, with the, with the mission uh, is is another solution as well. For instance, if this uh, uh, woman is pregnant, okay, so we prefer currently uh, that uh, that we delay or postpone the uh, the flight till she get delivered her baby. And this is because we don't have so much information about yeah. how space and how microgravity affect the pregnant woman. And is it really safe to fly pregnant woman to, to yeah. space or not? Uh, so 
currently it is possible you know it's still possible as as long as the medical condition is stable and will not be complicated in space this is the most important this is the most important thing you know and uh, i think the future is optimistic with the continuous research and continuous uh, and the development of technology i believe we will see that uh, or we will see more people with more um, serious medical conditions are flying to space safely due mm. to uh, technology, you know? Right, right. Very much agree. Very much agree. So this is still R&D and, and it will continue to be even probably after 100 years because it's a nonstop process and we need to gain the, gain the momentum, which we already feels like we're gaining that momentum and we get more and more private commercial industries coming in and they're working on that R&D process within the space agencies out there and, and making things, you know, that we speak about happening in the near future. Yeah. So speaking about some other problems, so let's say uh, because of the microgravity, again, speaking about Mars, that's a long travel, right? That's a long travel, seven, nine months, uh, you know, plus. So that means even if we're going to spend there, uh, let's say on Mars, one third of the gravity for, let's say a week, you know, uh, for, for first crew, right? They'll still will have to come back, which means another seven, nine months. So, I mean, the longest mission so far in ISS, I think it's been like 375 days or around 400 days, right? With, I think, Russian astronauts or something like that. So mm -hmm. that has not been experienced so far. I mean, 18 months plus, I mean, 20 months. So, uh, you know, a year and a, and a half kind of, you know, situation. So, Again, problems might occur. So any problems, again, from a, you know, a physiological side, kind of with the kidney stones, osteoporosis, or, um, you know, what else, like muscle atrophy and things like that. So can we speak about, again, another part that, that I know you, you it's been mentioned in your bio, which is lower body negative pressure system. It's called LBNP. So can you talk about that system? What does it do? And does it actually help us to tackle or to find some research for, for those uh, you know, physiological problems that might occur during the space travel? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, when we are in space, we, we are experiencing microgravity. You know, there is no gravity in space. So our fluids, uh, okay, let's talk about Earth at first. <laughs> so we, when we are on Earth, gravity pulls down the, um, the fluids into our legs and into our limb, lower limbs. But when we are in space, uh, there is no gravity. So all of the fluids, including the blood and lymphatics, shifted up towards our head and towards our upper limbs. Um, and this creates serious complications, actually. It increases intracranial tension and it affects the visual acuity, affect our, um, our CNS, our... Uh, it also com co compresses many parts inside our prints, so it's really dangerous, you know? Mm. Um, what lower body negative pressure do is it creates like a gravitational stress in our lower limbs. So it re or it pulls down again the fluids toward our lower limbs and toward our legs. Uh, so so it greatly mitigates the effect of uh, microgravity when we are in space. And actually, astronauts are frequently using lower body negative pressure on the ISS. Uh, and uh, there are many studies been done uh, on such a device, and they found we 
they, they proved that uh, it greatly mitigates the effects of uh, microgravity and the effects of, you know, is the shifting of our uh, fluids into uh, our upper, upper limbs. But the problem is uh, this device has many or some limitations, you know, and one of them is um, we don't really know how this device will uh, affect uh, the people who are uh, the space tourists, not the astronauts, the people who may have some uh, medical disorders, you know how uh, how this device will affect these people is it really will be effective for them or not we don't really know uh, also the we don't really know if this device will be effective for long duration missions or not you know uh, I, I don't know what is the maximum or what is the longest duration this device been used but i think it it uh, it hasn't been tested before or for for around four years, for instance. So we, we really want to know uh, if we want to travel to Mars for around three years, for instance. So using this device will be effective or not uh, for such a long duration. And also using such a device uh, will have some adverse effects on the long term or not. We also want to, want to, want to understand this part. Uh, also, the lower body negative pressure decreases the, the endothelial stress or the endothelial uh, vessel stress, okay? Uh, till now, we don't really have this mechanism happen. Uh, so it is also considered a limitation. So this has some limitations, and we are talking about space tourism. We don't really know if you if we use this uh, uh, device uh, with the space participants, this will you know be effective for them or not, and will be effective for such uh, unhealthy people or not. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Okay, very interesting. So another another problem. So let's speak about another problem which currently uh, we're facing right now on the International Space Station, and that's probably one of the reasons. Uh, obviously, microgravity is being one of uh, other main reasons why astronauts have to come back uh, to Earth, and and they have those uh, brand new crews changing over time. Uh, so obviously, microgravity and radiation. So uh, can we talk about how do you think uh, radiation and radiation sickness over long periods of space travel uh, could be treated? Uh, I mean, are we talking about the medicine or protecting the spacecraft better? I mean, what the solutions are out there? Um, well, it's an interesting question. Um, um, I think, right, yeah, radiation is really, uh, is really, serious problem you know uh, on the ISS uh, astronauts are, exp are uh, exposed to radiation uh, for around this the, the same amount of radiation they get equal the same amount uh, the, no the normal person here on earth get in, in one year I think so they exposed to a very uh, big amount of radiation. Um, actually, right now, well, what I know about this is uh, we can use, you know, the vehicle itself will protect us or uh, uh, will work as a radiation shielding uh, and protect us from radiation. Uh, also, building lunar or Martian habitats will play a great uh, role in, uh, in mitigating the effect of radiation. 
uh, also the space suit itself is crucial you know especially in the extravesicular right. activities uh, is uh, has a great role in decreasing the the you know the effect of radiation uh, I think I have uh, read before an article, uh, but I really can, I can remember it well, uh, that we can use also um, medicine or, you know, um, drugs to, to decrease the level or to decrease the danger of radiation on our bodies. So this, I think if there, there is something is, um, is get innovated or existed, especially in the deep the space missions is gonna be crucial as well because you know um, ra radiation is a still a serious problem and yeah it need it need uh, it need more research and currently we, we found some private companies that are working uh, just on this problem on decrease the the danger of radiation uh, during space exploration so yeah right. So speaking about the private companies, you actually been nominated as the first space medicine entrepreneur in Egypt. Uh, and again, as one of your goals has been stated in your bio was about uh, to create uh, to create an innovative space medicine company and to make space tourism safe and accessible for everyone. So can you speak about that, your personal future goals with the company and what do you envision, uh, you know, in the near future? Well, yeah, <laughs> thanks for asking this. Actually, um, I, I truly interested in business, especially space business. And uh, as, as I mentioned, space tourism has great potential. So, um, and for me, uh, with a medical background, I, I was thinking about uh, working on a common problem between space tourism and medicine as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and regarding regarding the code itself, uh, you know, in my country, let's say we don't have a strong human space flight program. Okay, so for me, uh, it was like uh, three years ago uh, when I just decided decided that I want to. Okay, I'm gonna work on the space industry. It wasn't really easy for me to get involved in some uh, space medicine researchers. Uh, there, there weren't, there wasn't uh, a lot of available opportunities for me. Uh, uh, so I started to work on space medicine researchers, and then I, I currently uh, I'm, I became interested in space entrepreneurship, and I'm working on that uh, on that company uh, right now. But we haven't launched it yet, uh, so stay stay tuned. <laughs> there is interesting something upcoming. So actually, I have learned a lot uh, during my journey. You know, uh, being or the idea of creating opportunities from scratch uh, was really challenging for me. Um, so, and I, I remember, um, I remember when I have decided, okay, I, I will work in the space medicine industry. I dedicated myself for around five months uh, working, learning, and reading about space medicine. Working, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, reading a lot of articles and books about space medicine, uh, checking NASA websites, seeing what they are working on and what they are interested, what, what, what are the projects that uh, they are working on right now. Uh, yeah, so anyone, 
my advice for anyone uh, like my same situation, if if he live in a country that doesn't have a space program or so, uh, my first advice is educate yourself. You know, yep. it is really crucial. Don't wait for the perfect time to get involved in a uh, in a space degree like. Uh, um, a bachelor or a master degree don't wait for that moment Elon Musk doesn't have an aerospace degree so educate yourself everything is is on the internet you know yep. uh, just read and master the specialization that you are in for instance if you are an engineer so be you know master the engineering at first and then shift to space uh, shift to the space industry this is the first advice and the second advice actually i have learned uh, throughout uh, my my career in the space industry is make mistakes you know i have i have did a lot of mistakes uh, throughout my journey and uh, on the other hand i have achieved great successes as well mm. and i bet you that we learn or you learn it from your failures and your, your mistakes more than your successes and your good days. So it's really cru crucial to make mistakes. Uh, it's okay, we are humans. Don't be afraid to get rejected from a, um, from a project or from a company uh, or from, you know, from that, or from that project. It's okay, it's okay, we are humans. So right. love your failures, make a lot of mistakes, and just go for it yeah if you found that something you are interested to do and you want badly to do it go for it why not life is too short exactly exactly so i agree with everything that you just said because uh obviously space industry is taking off right now and there's many many opportunities and in my eyes it's all about and probably some of the people who will be uh, hearing this right now, probably say, oh, not that again. But for me personally, it's all about compressing the timelines. And for that means they're, they're, we need more people to get involved. And again, during these days, I mean, we can consume information in different ways. And again, living in an informational age, everything is out there. As you mentioned on internet, on YouTube, or on blogs that other people posted who've been working at NASA or GPL or the space agency, they're posting uh, blogs, updates, what's happening. So again, look, everything is at your, at your fingertips. Uh, so, I mean, information is out there. So the question is just finding the direction and discovering things that you want to do uh, and following that. And again, through the time, as I mentioned, through the failures, which, you know, in my case, I still continue to do, but look, that's that's just life, right? You, you, you're just going to uh, brush it off. You know, it's big old failure, smaller failure, but then at the end of the day, you, you're moving further. You're moving further and things are going, you know, into, into the future. So, uh, look, again, I appreciate you coming on today. It's been a, really a blast talking with you. I mean, there's a lot of great insights that uh, I discovered today personally about space medicine field, any innovations that's currently happening. Uh, I mean, it's really, really awesome. So, again, I appreciate you sharing all of that. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was so fun time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. No problem. No problem. So look, guys and girls, before we're going to take off, uh, I want to ask you last uh, piece of uh, kind of, you know, help. Because during these times, I mean, we need more people to get involved in the space industry. We continue to need to move that needle and, you know, to get the momentum uh, going. So if you pass this episode to your friends, share a link. If you're listening to that on a podcast or just 
you know, share the video if you're watching this on YouTube and send it to your friend and say, hey, look, have you know about the space medicine? This is actually existing and these are the innovations that are currently happening. So if you do that, I really appreciate it. So, and besides that, until, you know, I appreciate you watching or listening and I'll see you on talk to you very soon.